Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 711 for the 18th of September, 2020. This week, in addition to Xire's new standalone photo application, the company has updated Search, a plugin for Adobe's Lightroom Classic. In short circuits, is Facebook's new interface terrible? Many people say that it is, but I'm willing to give it a chance, and I'm liking it more as a browser plugin called Social Fixer continues to improve its abilities to remove the dreck. Have you seen the video of the two 17-year-old guys who need four minutes to figure out how to use a rotary dial phone? Maybe you shouldn't be laughing quite so hard. In spare parts, only on the website, this year's Adobe Max will be in no physical location. As an online event, there's no attendance fee, and Adobe would like to hire some people to provide some of the virtual trimmings. Microsoft and LinkedIn have established a plan to provide training for those who need new job skills. Training will be provided without cost. And 20 years ago, what we meant by high-speed internet was a lot different in 2000 than it is today. In early August, I described Xire Photo, a new application that, unlike Xire Search, works outside Lightroom Classic. At the time, I mentioned that Xire had a new version of the plugin, and I said I'd tell you more about it later. Well, it's later. You may remember my review of the initial release of Xire Search in January 2019. Lightroom Classic has facial recognition technology and keywords to help you find images you're looking for. Xire's plugin adds generic keywords to your images and fundamentally changes the process of looking for images. Originally, Xire offered two versions of Search for Lightroom. The basic program had 125 keywords. The pro version increased that to 500. Now only the pro version is offered. After installing Xire Search 2, it was necessary to initialize all 62,000 of my photo files. Needless to say, that took a while. I started the process at 9 a.m. and it was still running at 9 p.m. The job finished overnight, probably consumed about 15 hours overall, but don't let that concern you because that happens only once. What you might not be expecting, though, is the amount of time required for your next system backup. Xire writes its keywords to generic digital negative files and to JPEG files. That means that most of your images probably will have changed and will need to be backed up again. It appears that Xire does not write its keywords to proprietary format files, files like Canon's CR2 or Nikon's NEF. That's understandable, because the structural information about proprietary RAW format files is not made public by the manufacturers. So if you shoot in RAW mode, that's another reason why you should at least consider having Lightroom Classic convert the files to DNG on import. 
Adding keywords to a digital negative file is easy because the file structure includes a section where the information is stored. You'll see a photo on the TechBiter Worldwide website that's of my older daughter, her husband, and my younger daughter's dog. The keywords you'll see were all added by XIR Search. I hadn't added any of my own to that particular image. Information is added to JPEG files in essentially the same way. In the file snippet you'll see on the TechBiner Worldwide website, some of the keywords are ones that I added, Scampi and Tangerine, for example. Others were added by XIR Search, Animal, Mammal, Cat, and Pet. Because keywords added by the user and by XIR Search are maintained separately, there's no danger that XIR Search will overwrite any of the user's manually added keywords. And the new version of Search has incorporated some of the features that are in the XIR Photo application that makes the plugin a more robust assistant. So let's take a look at XIR Search in action. Being able to search by keywords is helpful. But I suspect that a lot of people will reach for the search for people or search for faces functions more frequently. Search for faces can be set to identify photos that look like a single portrait, have one, two, or several faces, or have any number of faces. The next selection asks for the age of the person or people you're looking for. Baby or toddler, child, teenager or young adult, adult or elderly. Next is the choice between faces that appear to be of males or females, and whether the subject's eyes are open. The final choices tell XIR Search whether to examine the entire catalog or just the current film strip, and how many results it should display. Search for people is faster and amazingly accurate when you need to find additional pictures of one or more individuals in an image that you've located. It's important to select a photo that shows the full frontal view of the person's face. In the example on the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see that XIR Search would be able to look for other pictures where the woman's face is present, but not for images where the man is present because it's a profile view of him. If you select a photo that contains just one person, XIR Search will ask if you want additional photos where that person is the only subject, or where that person and one, two, or several additional faces are present, or even if the person is in a group. You can also specify images where the subject is smiling or not smiling, and where the subject's eyes are open or closed. You can also add keywords to the search. For example, if you're looking for a picture of the person and you know that person was at a wedding, you could choose that keyword to limit the images returned to just those of the individual at the wedding. As with Search for Faces, you'll then tell the application whether to search the current film strip or the entire catalog, and what's the maximum number of images you want to see. In the example on the TechBiter Worldwide website, I had selected a photograph of my wife and I told it to search the entire catalog. It returned 413 images. When a selected image has more than one face, all of the usable faces will be marked with rectangles. The user can then choose whether to search for photos with one of the faces, multiple faces, or all of the faces. The other selection criteria remain the same. In the example you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website, we have a picture of my wife and younger daughter. I told Search to find just photographs with the person on the right, my daughter, face number two, and to search the entire catalog. I set the maximum to 960 photos, and XIR Search returned 960 photos. Why so many? Well, that's because the catalog contains hundreds of photographs from her wedding. 
Search's artificial intelligence has been improved greatly in version 2. For example, a photo that version 1 identified as being dark, nature, outdoor, river, water, and waters is identified in version 2 as architecture, building, cabin, dark, forest, nature, outdoor, plant, river, tree, water, waterfall, waters, and wood. And those new keywords are far more descriptive of the actual image. If there's a downside to using Xire Search, it's this. It takes far longer for Lightroom Classic to become ready for use. Presumably, this is the result of the massive increase in keywords. Instead of being ready to use in 30 seconds or less, Lightroom Classic now takes more than a minute on my computer. The user can wait, stare at the computer, and be annoyed. After all, any time spent waiting for a computer is wasted. Alternatives, though, include starting Lightroom Classic and going to fetch a beverage of your choice, taking a bathroom break, or conversing with a pet or family member. Considering the amount of time Xire Search will save when you need to find an image, that somewhat slower startup time seems like a really fair deal. So the bottom line here, five cats, Xire Search 2 finds photos quickly and precisely. Adobe's Lightroom Classic face recognition is good, but Xire's technology seems to be better. Lightroom Classic's keywords are superb if you remember to add them. But Xire adds keywords that you might not think of when you're adding terms manually. The keywords are responsible for much of search's power because those generic keywords make searching easier, and the application's image analysis will fundamentally change the way users look for images. You'll find additional details on the Xire website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, Facebook's new interface is terrible. Or maybe it's not. I've been watching messages from Facebook users who have been switched to the new interface. With very few exceptions, people say they hate it. They say that it looks like it was designed by a four-year-old. Sometimes they even say nasty things about it. I'm going to play the part of the heretic here. A few weeks ago, Facebook said all users will be converted to the new interface in September, so would I like to switch now? Fearing the worst, I switched. Well, it is different. It looks a lot more like Android and iOS apps than it did before. But is different bad? Some people simply do not like change, period. I am not one of those people, but that's not to say that all is well in Facebook land. Problems have always existed with Facebook, and the new version doesn't change that. For example, the new version uses a significant amount of screen real estate at the top of the page to highlight stories. These are short photo and video collections that can be viewed up to two times and disappear automatically after 24 hours. In other words, it's Facebook's lame attempt to copy Snapchat. 
to say I detest stories with a passion would probably be an understatement. I despise them, and Facebook has no way to get rid of them. There's an icon for watching videos that Facebook thinks will interest me. It's at the top of the interface. I do occasionally watch videos on an iPad, but I almost never watch them on a desktop system. The icons in order are Home, Pages that I Manage, Videos, Marketplace, and Groups, and I also don't care much for that Marketplace thing. The Sponsored section at the top right is also an area I don't care for, but if this replaces or at least reduces the number of ads that appear on my timeline, I'll live with it. That is still not determined. If the flood of ads continues, I hope I'll be able to reduce them. But wouldn't it be nice to get rid of some of the features that I don't like? That's why I'm a longtime user of Social Fixer. It's a plug-in that has been able to filter out advertisements and unwanted posts, at least in the earlier version. Facebook has massively modified its code, and Social Fixer developer Matt Krause has been working overtime to fix what Facebook's new code has broken. Social Fixer is free, but donations are accepted, and anyone who uses Social Fixer to fix Facebook really should donate. It is worth the money. Although the latest version doesn't fix everything, it does allow me to remove those unwanted videos and marketplace icons at the top of the page. But more important, Social Fixer makes it possible for me to hide the Stories feature. It's not yet possible to hide the Sponsored section, it is linked to your page's birthdays and contact sections. So really, there's no good reason to dislike the new Facebook layout. It does seem to be better than the old layout in many ways, and it'll be even better when Matt Krause finally manages to update Social Fixer to give users control of what they see. Social Fixer is a plug-in for all major browsers. It is not yet available for Facebook apps on Android and iOS devices. At least, not yet. We can hope. Maybe you've seen the video with a couple of 17-year-old guys who were given a rotary phone and told that they have to make a call. Clearly, old rotary dial phones were not discoverable, as Apple likes to say about their modern hardware. Some things puzzle young folks. Other things cause us older folks to raise our eyebrows. That thought occurred to me the other day when I was making sure that my pencil was fully charged. You know, until recently, the only way to charge a pencil would have been to buy one with a credit card. But now we have devices with pencils that have to be charged. If you found it amusing that two high school students were so clueless about how to operate an old telephone that it took them four minutes to more or less figure it out, then consider this. In the 1930s, Bell Telephone added a short explanatory film to the newsreel section at theaters. They wanted to show people how to use a dial phone. Now, newsreels are an entirely different subject, so I'll just stick with the subject of the telephone company film for now. People had to be told how to find telephone numbers, what the dial tone sounded like, how to dial a number, and how to differentiate between a ring and a busy signal. So don't laugh at those teen guys. 
And if you'd like to check out the two videos, they're on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. Things do change, and we forget how the old things worked. We forget how complicated they were when we first encountered them. So consider what would happen if you handed your teenage child or grandchild some of the old tools, things you took for granted and eventually used without a second thought. Things like 50-foot reels of 8mm movie film and movie cameras. Would your local teen be able to load the film? And if so, could he or she then record a movie? Keep in mind that each reel of film was good for about three to four and a half minutes of silent action. That depended on how many frames per second the camera took. We didn't have 8mm sound film until the mid-1960s. If you wanted to get fancy back then, you could cut and splice the film, but there was no undo. How about typewriters? Remember how hard you had to press the keys on manual typewriters and how much better the electric typewriters were? Remember erasing errors? Remember whiteout? And remember failing grades from your typing teacher if you used whiteout? Remember having to retype an entire document when you edited it? Or having to type multiple copies when you needed more than one because you didn't have a copier at home? Remember early computers? Would any teenager today understand the need to delete one document from the hard drive just to make room for another? Given that every digital camera image can be 30 to 50 megabytes, or more in some cases, what would they think of a computer with a 10 megabyte hard drive? Given a Rand McNally atlas and a pad of paper, would your teenage child or grandchild be able to plan a route to drive across the country? How many people of any age would put up with looking through a printed catalog, filling out an order form, mailing the form, and waiting several weeks for the ordered item to arrive? Hand a teenager a slide rule and ask them to calculate something. Somewhere around the house I have two slide rules, but I bought them just as calculators were coming out. Calculators that had a big box under the table, a keyboard on the table, and a separate box with a bunch of Nixie tubes. If you don't know what a Nixie tube is, or you don't remember, Wikipedia has a great explanation, and I have a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Anyway, I never really mastered using a slide rule because they were no longer needed. Do you recall walking, riding a bike, or maybe driving to the bank to deposit a check? You had to go inside the bank, and you had to take your account book, and you had to talk with a teller. Oh, and you had to be there before 2 p.m.? That's because banks closed at 2 p.m. so they could balance the books by 5 p.m. And they weren't even open on Saturday or Sunday. How about shortwave radio? The sound was usually horrid but you could listen to people half a world away. And that's right, you tune to the African service of Radio Canada International. And this is a music shop where you hear the very best in Canadian rock. That's Radio Canada International. Most shortwave stations have signed off. They've been replaced by online services. But still there was something magic about being able to listen to Ottawa, London, Moscow, Prague, Havana, and a lot of other stations. For more information about shortwave broadcasting, check out the shortwave archive. There's a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and that's where I obtained the Radio Canada International audio. Would any of us, young or old, be satisfied with just four, or maybe three, or only two television stations? 
As a kid in Bell Fountain, I benefited from an outdoor antenna on what was probably a 40-foot mast. Because of that, and because of Bell Fountain's elevation, highest point in Ohio, we had a choice of three Columbus stations, two Dayton stations, and occasionally one or two of the Cincinnati stations. Except for news and local programming, of course, the stations in all three cities ran exactly the same network programs from exactly the same three networks. Remember television sets that took up half a room, sat on the floor, and required you to get up and walk to them to change channels with a rotary dial? Remember vinyl records that required you to buy the whole thing when it only had two or three selections you really liked? That, yeah, vinyl is making a sort of a small comeback now. Remember the battle over which was better, VHS tapes or Betamax? Remember the sound of a modem connecting to and negotiating with the device at the other end? And how about floppy disks, the 5-inch disks that flopped? If you're old enough, the 8-inch disks that really flopped, and the 3-inch floppy disks that didn't flop at all, unless you took them out of their plastic cases. Remember using a floppy disk to boot the computer because the computer had no internal disk? How about dumb terminals? Ever use one of those to connect to a mainframe or a mini-computer? How about using jumpers to set interrupts or to assign device numbers to a SCSI drive? Have you written a real letter in the past decade? One you put in an envelope, put a stamp on it, write the address, and take it to the post office to deliver? Oh, and remember when we had to use phone books, the yellow pages, dictionaries, encyclopedias, and newspapers? If you remember those times, you must be pretty old. You don't have to set any jumpers to read spare parts. Just head over to the TechBiter Worldwide website, and this week you'll find these articles. This year's Adobe Max will be in no physical location, as an online event, there's no attendance fee, and Adobe would like to hire some people to provide some of the virtual trimmings. Microsoft and LinkedIn have established a plan to provide training for those who need new job skills. Training will be provided without cost. And 20 years ago, what we meant by high-speed Internet was a lot different in 2000 than it is today. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.